With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. As you know, we have a special guest tonight, uh, Mr. Brian Gaskill. You are uh, familiar with Brian from his epic portrayal of Rach Kovich, the angel and vampire hunter on the now-defunct daytime drama Port Charles. After the cancellation of Port Charles, Brian went on to star on the daytime drama Bold and the Beautiful in the role of Oscar Marone. After his role on Bold and the Beautiful, he went on to star on now-canceled daytime drama As the World Turns and as Reva Chain's son, Dylan Lewis, on the now-defunct drama, daytime drama, Guiding Light. Before daytime came calling, though, Brian made his television debut on the primetime drama Models, Inc., in the lead role of David Michaels, the son of the founder and owner of Models, Inc., whose portrayal was none other than Linda Gray from nighttime drama Dallas fame. Recently, Brian has been cast as the mysterious bad boy Chase, in the Bay's upcoming summer special, The Bay, Dark Side of the Bay. Additionally, Brian has directed music videos and also has a spoken word poetry album titled Make It Real, which is available on CD Baby. Let's welcome to the airwaves, Brian Gaskell. Hi, Brian. Hey, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I, I, I was like, uh, your descriptions were really cool until I kept hearing the word defunct. <laughs> on a, I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> All these shows are defunct. I, I, I know, and it's interesting that you say that because there's actually a question in here where I ask you your thoughts <laughs> on that, that right, situation. Right, right. Right. Um, okay, so, uh, well, it's a lovely evening here in Los Angeles. Um, I think, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, so, Brian, you were born in Honolulu, Hawaii, but grew up in Nep- okay, but grew up in Neptune, New Jersey. What stands out the most about growing up in New Jersey for you? Um, wanting to get back to Hawaii. <laughs> Not really, no. I, I mean, I only lived in Hawaii for about three months, so you're right. I mean, I, I grew up in New Jersey, and I, I moved around a lot within New Jersey, but but from about, like, six or seven years old on, I was on the Jersey Shore, mostly in the town of uh, Ocean Grove and Neptune, right on the shore, and uh, I guess that's that's the biggest thing that stands out. Ocean Grove itself is a, is a uh, it's just a quirky little town it's a, that, that, to me, is... It's sort of normal. It's a. It's, it originally was a Methodist tent town, and they still have these tents that people lease in the summertime, and they get passed down by families. and And it's it's just a. It's it's an interesting thing to grow up right next to the ocean, blocks away from the ocean. I I wrote. I remember writing something once in high school. It was like a little script or something, and and I had a teacher point out to me that that they thought it was interesting that these kids that were talking to each other were 
you know, they they were just hanging out on the boardwalk having a conversation after school, like that was something completely normal to do. And they were pointing mm-hmm. out to me how, for most people in the country, that wouldn't be a normal place to have a conversation <laughs> right after school. So so it was interesting. So it was, it was an it was an interesting place to grow up for sure. I, I love, you know, it's definitely a, a strong, a big part of me. That whole environment, Asbury Park, and the the carousels and the Ferris wheels and the rides and the games and the ski ball and the pinball machines and playing Space Invaders for the first time when video games first started coming out and Pac-Man when it first came out all in the, the casino down by the beach. And so it was, I mean, that that's all that's all what really stands out about it. It was a, it was a really interesting, different place to grow up, but, but it was normal to me and I, I loved it. That sounds like a lot of fun. Everything that you said, like Ferris wheels and <laughs> pinball machines, yeah, right. fireworks <laughs> on the beach. Oh. You know, it was, just, it was just normal. You know, but we actually, I actually preferred the the fall and the and the spring. You know, before before the population quadrupled and the you know all the tourists came in. I mean, it was fun, but. But you know there was a lot more. It was impossible. We didn't have a garage, and it was impossible to find parking because there were so many tourists there. But but you know, I didn't drive yet, so it wasn't as much of a concern for me. <laughs> it also was a place where they used to have they used to have you know they had their own police in this little tiny square mile town, and they had blue laws, and they they couldn't um, you couldn't drive on the streets on Sundays. And the, and the, and you could only there were only certain ways to get in and out of town, and they were closed off with a chain. And you actually, if you didn't have a garage to put your car in, you had to park your car out of town. So not only could you not drive, but there couldn't be cars on the streets. So as annoying as that was for adults, for kids it was amazing because Sundays came, and you had the streets wide open with no worries of traffic or anything. And so you just went like you know you were wild kids all over the place. Of course. You know, it was still apparently, according to some of the the older crowd there, would be little old ladies would scream at us out their window saying, "You're not allowed to be playing. It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day." So, but we just ran and kept playing, and, and so, so that's yeah, it's it's a different it's a different kind of place to grow up. But I, I have a lot of really great memories. That's awesome. Um, okay, well, you were a drama major in high school and went on to get your Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Yeah, well, there were two separate things. I, I went to performing arts high school, and so, I, yeah, I studied acting there, but then I went on to SUNY Purchase, for, which is one of the top conservatories in the country for uh, for acting. Now, what, what made you, what about acting made you choose to pursue that craft? What was it about it? I don't, it was just from... I always loved movies from an early age, and then when I got to be about 13 or so, I started I started acting. The first plays I ever auditioned for, I actually really kind of chickened out and was shaking like a leaf and couldn't really do it at stage fright. And one year I just did stage crew instead because I chickened out of the auditions, and and then I started doing it, and it just became part of part of my life, and where I kind of felt at home. I I felt I found my home on the stage, and I felt oh. like you know, and whether it was it was on the stage performing and escaping into these different stories, but it was also just the 
my friends and and the people that I associated with and got along with. And I played a lot of soccer and growing up, but but by the time I got to school, I didn't really get along with the the high school sports arena as much. You know, those the kids and the, and I found a home in the theater and and uh, and it just it just continued on from there. And, and it always was something that it was never really, it didn't seem like a career choice as much as it was just something, it was the way I lived my life. It was something I did and, and hopefully I would continue to do it. And, and I actually almost stopped when I, by the time I graduated high school, I was kind of burnt out by it. And, and I took a year off and, and then I kind of thought I missed it. So I went up to New York and took some classes at Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. And, and while I was there kind of, realized I still loved it and then I started applying for college and ended up going to the acting conservatory at SUNY Purchase but but I wasn't I wasn't sure I mean when I first was looking at schools I was actually thinking about film school and and different things you know but I ended up going back to acting just because it's that's what I that's what I did and I, I didn't really know how to get away from it it's just part of who I was Ah, okay. Okay, so it was from very, very young you had this desire. or Yeah, yeah. Time. I mean, I always, like I said, I mean, I always loved movies and sitting around with my mother and watching old black and white films and all kinds of movies. And so it was just, it was just that desire to be part of storytelling and, oh. and you know, in, in some way, shape or form to just tell stories and, and reach people with that and be a part of that. That that sounds fantastic. Um, okay, well, you made your television debut on the primetime drama Miles Inc., which was a spinoff of the very popular primetime drama Melrose Place, which starred Heather Locklear. How did that experience in primetime prepare you for the rest of your career? Um, well, it happened. It all happened really fast. So it, it in in one way it was a lie. So it sort of it sort of didn't prepare me well in the sense that it made it seem like it was all really easy. Um, that it happened, that it could happen. You know, it was sort of like the Hollywood fantasy. I just showed up, and a couple months later, I was starring on a TV show. So right. wasn't even going. That was automatically going to be on television that summer. There was no like waiting to see if the pilot was picked up. It was all. Oh. And then and then the fact that it didn't really succeed that well. I think, you know, just prepared me in the sense that to see that, you know, the, the ups and downs and how quick Hollywood can be and, and, and it's just, it just gives you the world and takes it all away and and prepares you to, you know, I think it prepared me in the sense of, of being more, letting myself go back to being more independently minded and, and artistically minded and, and to be myself no matter what and, and to just, you know, try to put myself you know, not be manipulated by the by the system so much, and put myself into every role as much as I can, and 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 just you know, not I don't know. It's just it 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 prepared me in that it it just it, it showed it showed me everything all at once. It showed me the highs and the lows, <laughs> like I got a quick crash course in Hollywood. Oh. On, how high, on how high everything can be and how low everything can be, and I experienced it all within within six months to a year. So I, I got a definite crash course in what everything could be. And then when I started on daytime after that, I wasn't planning on doing that, but I had gone back to 
New York to start a theater company because I wasn't really thrilled with my experience in Hollywood at the time. And I wanted to get back to where I came from and start a theater company with some friends of mine who couldn't get an agent at the time. So I wanted to help them. And, um, and while I was there, I was sent into all my children and, and, you know, kind of thought, well, this isn't bad here. This is kind of nice. I like the people and, and maybe I'll give it a shot. And, and, uh, and and I was able to go into that situation very humble, you know, and that was good to be able to go into because I saw people coming into daytime shows it being their first job and them acting like they were movie stars and, and the biggest thing in the world. And for me, it was kind of like just another job. That I was, and it felt good to just say, okay, I'm an actor and I'm doing my job and this is it. It's just a job and, and I can reach people and, and do what I want to do, but but I didn't have these illusions of being like a superstar just because I was on a TV show during the day. Uh-huh. Because I had already sort of experienced what some people would call the higher level and saw it crash and burn, and and it's it's none of it mattered. None of, right. You know, I just, I went back to just wanting to be an actor and wanting to be a journeyman performer who just, you know, like, like uh, I hear Christopher Walken talk about that, where he just wants to work. And he's like an old hoofer on the stage. He's just going to go to work. He's going to get a script, get his job, and go to work. And uh, so that's, I think that's pretty much how that early experience in Hollywood prepared me, that I just, I just wanted to work. Uh-huh. Well, that's, you probably, you probably were in a better place than um, you, you probably, or not probably, you were thrown so much at, at one time that you kind of had to digest everything and you were able to come out of it like, okay, I've seen all of it. So now when I get a job, it's a job. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. 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 And just make the best of it. Right. And occasionally, right. every once in a while in your career, something magical will come along. You know, maybe there's some people who are really lucky, who are like the big movie stars, and they get to pick what they want, and maybe maybe a lot of that's magical for them. But for most people, you get lucky if every so often something magical comes along. And you keep your eyes open for that, and, and you're very grateful for it. But in the meantime, you keep you keep trucking, and you keep just doing what you do, and hitting your marks, and saying your lines, and finding magic in the moments. And it's not necessarily in the big picture. Right. You find, it, you find it in little moments. So hopefully, metaphorically speaking, that also teaches you about life, that it's not all it's not all going to be perfect. But if you keep your eyes open, that there are, there's still going to be magic in the moments. And if you just disregard it just because you're not happy with the situation, you're going to miss, you're going to miss tiny moments that, that are still, that are still magic and something to be taken from. That's stage advice. I'll tell you. Um, speaking of magical moments, I know that a lot of people watched you on the daytime drama, Poor Charles. And Poor Charles was really the leader in bringing the vampire saga to the forefront again. So do you feel that if Poor Charles was introduced later than it was, that there would have been a frenzy in daytime like there has been for the Twilight Saga? You mean like all the other shows would have been doing vampires? No. In other words, do you do you feel that if if daytime had introduced it a little bit later, that daytime would have experienced the frenzy that Twilight has created? Well, poor Charles would I don't, be that. I way. don't know. I mean, if it had, if it had come along after Twilight, we would just been accused of like ripping off Twilight. 
Um, which, you know, which wouldn't have been the first time that that would happen, that some of these daytime shows are inspired by movies and stuff. I mean, that's that's part of it. But right. but I, I don't know. I've been asked that before, and usually it's it's really... You can never tell. But but really, unless... Um, you know, John, Jonathan Freed died today. He played Barnabas Collins on... Uh, on Dark Shadows, and and of course that's that's where it kind of started with the daytime shows, and, mm-hmm. and we were we were you know very much inspired by that and that show, and 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 I found inspiration from that show because at least you know it was never tongue in cheek, right? You know it was more we we tried to you know we we you know some people might laugh at this but we tr- we tried to make it as real as possible, mm-hmm. and 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 we had we had fun doing it and. And I don't know if see Dark Shadows I believe was on at four thirty in the afternoon. All the kids were home from school. They knew they could watch it. By the time, you know, later on into the eighties and nineties you have Oprah Winfrey and you have the talk shows that are taking that time slot. So there was no chance a show like Poor Charles could ever get that time slot. So we were on and like usually around twelve thirty in the afternoon. Right. Where it's you know, it's it's hard. You know, it is. It is. It would be. It yeah. would be fun for kids, and you know. But it's also kind of sexy and romantic. So it wasn't really a kid show either. And you, you you just don't know. It's it's still on in the middle of the day, and we're living in a culture where more people are out trying to get a job or actually working, or you have cable with twenty billion channels to choose from instead of right. like just your three major channels. So it's hard. It's hard to get that audience. Meanwhile, there's a lot more people watching than Nielsen ratings they are watching, and people are DVRing it and recording it and, and doing whatever they can to see it. And and with Port Charles, we weren't even on in all the cities. We weren't sold in the same package as the other hour-long shows, as three other hours on ABC. So oh, I didn't that, know that. That, that that half hour slot that was with, starting with Loving and then became the city and then with Port Charles was never sold with the other three. So there were a lot of places where it wasn't even on the air. Mm-hmm. Where we were on the air in places like Chicago and New Orleans, we were actually demographically quite often the top show. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't add up ratings-wise. Right. Although our ratings were higher than All My Children was when it was when it was canceled. Mm-hmm. You know, so oh, the I remember that. The ratings were down overall. It just, I don't know. There's no answer to that. There's no answer to whether or not it would it would be more successful now because vamp- I mean a lot of people in Hollywood speaking to the insiders in Hollywood every time you bring up vampires they're like ah vampires are dead you know no you know no joke intended there I mean, for <laughs> but I, they're you know they they're sort of burnt out because of the Twilight thing and all that and they're like ah, I can't do another vampire movie it was you know so so you know. I don't know. I don't know whether it would be more successful now. I know we we did what we could do at the time and and went as far as we did. I was very disappointed that it. I I thought if I knew it was going to be canceled, but I thought we were going to get one more year. Mm-hmm. We, were, we we had shot a whole year's worth of shows in six months, and and then we had a a six month hiatus, and for about four of those months we were on hold, and then two months before we were supposed to. Back, we were told that the show wasn't coming back, which is normal. I don't feel burnt by that. That's normal Hollywood, right? And and uh, but I I really thought they were going to give it one more year because they had scripts, they were ready. It was going to, you know, I think it would have been cool had we had at least one more year. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been. I think that there was a lot 
that could have been done. I, I think that there was a lot that wasn't finished. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely agree. Sure. I was I, personally, I was looking forward to to Rafe being killed again. And <laughs> well, he died. Like I must have died, gone back and forth from heaven and hell about five or six times in the two years. And 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 by the time it ended, I was sort of totally human again, trying to be normal for Allison and all that. And, and I think I would have liked it if he died again and had to come back as a ghost or an angel or something so I could so I could experience more of that, that supernatural world again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Your 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 character did go through a lot of transformations. A yeah, lot. For sure. Um okay, well when you were on Port Charles you worked with actress Kelly Monaco, who's on General Hospital now. Is there an amusing story that you can share with us that happened while the cameras were rolling? I mean, because of the storyline, I could only imagine, like, the kind of work and fun that you guys had. I don't, you know, it's funny. We were so rushed. I mean, we had to get, we, we it was tight. The schedule would, we couldn't, we were done at 5.30, and they, they wouldn't let us go in overtime because they were trying to save money. So, the most memorable thing is that we were all, us combined with the crew and the cameramen, we were all so tight. And when we got to set, we were we were going by the seat of our pants. Right. They were like, okay, we got to make this work. we got to get this done. we got one take to make it work. There were times at 5 o'clock we had a half an hour left. And, you know, the biggest, you know, with Kelly, I remember going to set at like after 5 o'clock and we had till 5.30 and we had five scenes to do. We didn't even camera block them. We did. We did. We talked to the, our friends, the camera guys, for a minute, and they were like, "All right, we're gonna move here, 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 and there, and okay, let's go." And we did it. And there were scenes that would end up on air that we didn't even block with cameras that we did once, and never did them again. And they were. That's what was on television. And we were. And one of them was like a ten-page scene that we, that Kelly and I just went straight through, with no rehearsal, no camera blocking, and and we were just so just on edge and on riding by the seat of our pants to make it work because we so, like, wanted to be able to finish by 5.30 and not have to come back to the scene, like, two weeks later just because we didn't finish. Right. So we just, you know, that's, it was exciting. And that's, and that's what, that's what I mostly remember working with, working with Kelly in particular. Ah, uh, consummate professional, huh? Like, Kelly, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> they, like she's she she like really she worked she worked so hard she wanted to be the best she could be and I saw her working so hard every day you know I even said one time that we were presenting it uh, I sort of wasn't probably supposed to do this but just because I always saw her working so hard and thought she was so good that I actually we were presenting at the Emmy Awards and she had lost to somebody else and we were up on stage and in front of everybody on TV. I said, you know, you should have won. <clears throat> Which I, I guess was later on. You know, people people on the inside knew that it was just a nice thing to say to her. Then you know, nobody Absolutely. really cared. And had I done that, had I been more famous and done it at the Academy Awards or something, I'm sure something like that would have made bigger news or something. <laughs> but no, nobody noticed. <laughs> Didn't show up on the news. Nobody cared. Um, so I just, you know, I was, it was just a, a little olive leaf to her to go, you know what, you did a good job, and and she she did, she did a she did a great job, and and, uh, yeah. and I, so her and then and then Aaron, who played Allison, and 
and we had you know that that whole relationship on there that was that was successful, I guess. So I hear. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, so then you went on to portray characters on daytime dramas, Bold and the Beautiful, and um, you know, Guiding Light. What are your yeah, thoughts on the release? Right, and as the world turns, exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on the reasons behind the decline in daytime dramas and what this means for the future of daytime? I don't know about the future. I mean, I don't think anyone can tell the future. I mean, it seems like it's written on the wall, yet anything can change at any moment. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't really know. Um, I know it all started, it, you know, back going back to, like, Luke and Laura's wedding, apparently there were, like, 75 million people who saw that. Right. You know, so that and that doesn't happen. I mean, that can't. That that's like fantasy land. But the same thing in in prime time. I mean, the prime time back then, you had seventy five million people watching Three's Company, right? And because there were only most people only had those thirteen channels at the three right. major networks, so you had like a you know a thirty percent chance of of doing really well. With like even like shows like Star Trek in the sixties got canceled for low ratings, even though thirty million people were watching the show. Because thirty the thirty a thirty share in in the Nielsen ratings was considered low, especially for a show that cost that much. So eventually, more channels came into play. More and more people got cable through the eighties, through the nineties, and then while I was on All My Children, a little thing happened in Los Angeles called O.J. Simpson. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and then they about a year later, I was on the set of Models Inc. when we were watching the whole Bronco chase. And then a year later, I was on All My Children when the court case was going to come along. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard stories of William Bell, who was still alive then, went to CBS and said, please do not preempt us for this. Because he knew that watching a soap opera was a habit. That people, you know, you get into the story and you want to keep watching. And if you right. just go willy-nilly on days, just go, you know what, we're not going to show the show today. We're going to go to the O.J. Simpson trial. Well, then people will start to lose the habit. And he was very smart in realizing that because that's sort of what ended up happening. And I remember being on All My Children and coming into work and them having the air show on, and every other day we wouldn't be on air. And they'd end up right. trying to show us at 2 o'clock in the morning or something. And 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 it just, you know, you'd, you'd lost the habit. I used to be into a show called Heroes, and then the writer strike happened, and then it went oh, off air for a while. And, and then you just didn't care. It was off the air for too long. You just didn't want to. You're like, whatever, I forget. I forget what happened. I don't want to go back to it. Um, so you, you lose you lose the habit. And then more and more people were getting cable, and there's, you know, 500 channels to choose from, and you can watch Law & Order all day if you want to. And, 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 right. and then you have people who, you know, the economy goes bad. Everyone's out trying to work. And, and if they're not, they're... They're uh, they're hoping to try if they're not work if they're not out working they're trying to work they're trying to do right. something and and, uh, and then the whole viewing habits of DVR nobody's I don't think really figured out how that all works and how to count who's watching what so I don't every, everything's changed. But don't you, do, well, don't you think that the Nielsen ratings though is like an archaic system? I don't know. I can't I can't speak to it. Like perfectly, because I don't know exactly how it all works, but I do know there have been situations where shows, where primetime shows were going to be canceled because of the Nielsen ratings, and then they had such a huge fan base, like 
like a situation like Northern Exposure, Dr. Quinn mm-hmm. Medicine Woman, that are different kind of shows that, that speak to a different kind of people who don't necessarily, or who are not necessarily Nielsen families. Right. Who Nielsen in general, my understanding is that that's maybe a pretty good average, but that is all it is, and it's not scientific. You never know when something's going to break those rules. Right. So in the case of Northern Exposure and Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, you have this huge writing campaign and networks going, where the heck are these people coming from? Right. Um, and it's also dealing with, you know, Hollywood likes what's hip. And so shows like the must-see TV and Seinfeld and Friends and all that stuff, they're really big in the big cities, but, you know, people in middle America might not care as much. Right. And, and they're not, and Hollywood doesn't always speak to middle America. And obviously, you know, not only do shows like, Northern Exposure and Dr. Clear, not only did they speak to those people in a different way, but obviously, you know, from what I've seen in the fan base and when you go to meet people and you're flying all over the country going to Sears and different places and the people you meet, you know, they're not, they're not people, they're, they're real people, they're real Americans who, who aren't necessarily up on, on what's hip and what's not, they just, they like their characters and they like their stories. So you're right. I don't think they necessarily, I don't think the Nielsen ratings are necessarily in tune with those people. Mm-mm. No. And and now we have DVRs. We always right. had VHSs. And if people are out working now, I, I just think that they should come up with a system where they can measure, because most people aren't home during the day now. I mean, they're out working. You could. Or, you know, they could. They could truly measure it, but it would be like Big Brother is watching you. I mean, every cable yeah. system in America, yeah. if you have cable, could probably read what you're watching at all times. You're right. And I don't think anybody would really be comfortable with that. No. No. Absolutely not. I think they see enough as it is. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Um, I mean... Um, okay, so so switching topics a little bit. You have joined the internet-based drama The Bay in their summer special titled The Bay, Dark Side of the Bay. What can you tell us about your character Chase in this new series? I know he's a bad boy. but is I love that. I, I hope when I'm 60 and getting roles that people are still saying I'm the new bad boy. <laughs> I'm, I just keep hearing I'm the, I'm the mysterious bad boy. And I'm like, wow, I'm still a boy. That's awesome. Um, I don't... I, I don't know what I can tell you. I mean, he's he's, he's dark. Um, yeah, Jade Harlow's character gets involved in a pretty bad situation as, as she's constantly, from what I've seen on the show, is always involved in a pretty bad situation. Right. So this is about as dark as it gets for her. And it's a very dark, it's, it's called, obviously called the dark side of the bay. Some of the younger characters on the show get involved in sort of the wrong side of the tracks. And uh, and I'm playing a very um, a very creepy individual. I mean, I wouldn't. I, he's not like a. I don't know. I, I I would hesitate to even call him a bad boy. He's more like a character out of a like a David Lynch movie or something. He's he's, he's different. He's he's very very different, very dark, um, very obsessed. Um, and uh, ooh, and, and sounds and, interesting. And it's very. I, I mean, I've I've slipped and said more about it before, and I I don't know if I if I if I can really give anything no. away in terms of the no story. worries. So, so no. It's very, but it is very. I mean, what it, what attracted me to it is that it's, that it's uh the the darkness of it. 
attract me to it and, and the uh, type of character it is. And I do like to play. I don't really like the, the typical heroes and, and that kind of thing. And I like to play anti-heroes or people who are, you know, even dark and malicious and bad guys and different types of characters. And when I am playing a normal sort of character, I like to bring quirks and stuff to to make it a little more... Not in the effort to be different, but really to just bring myself to it, to know that, like, that, I mean, we're all individuals and interesting, and and I don't want to see, like, a car for me, I don't want to play a cardboard cutout that I can't even relate to at all. So. Right, right. Um, well, what, <clears throat> now, this is, this is, this is a question that I'm not, I'm not sure um, if you can answer it or not, but I've always wondered. Now that you've worked in both time and prime time, which arena gives you more of a creative outlet as an actor? More like freedom. Between daytime and prime time? Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, really, it just, it it really just depends on on who you're working with and the story. And I mean, in my experience, because of what I've done on prime time, I I mean, for the most part, I mean, I had a lot more freedom on daytime because, I was a leading player on there, and and and, right. and and you find yourself. It really is this environment where you're all sort of working together to do five shows a week all year round. So, you know, once you're trusted in your character, the producers and the writers and the actors and and everybody are sort of like coming together to make it work. Because it's not going to be perfect all the time to do. I'm, you know, I applaud daytime in general all the time. To to produce that much material all year round is shocking that right. they can even do it. So, like, you know, there are, you know, I'm not saying anything. You know, people like to like talk about how great daytime is, and it is for that very reason. But but you know, the truth is, I'm, you know, if no one talks about this out loud, it's true. You know, there are people out there who still make fun of it. And when you, every time you see it in movies, yeah. it's always like making fun of the actors and making fun of the style, and it's always a farce and a satire. And, but the fact of the matter is, is there, you're, to do that much material all the time is amazing. Yeah. And maybe maybe it is going a different direction because maybe, that, maybe that's almost impossible. Maybe it shouldn't be done. But it's amazing that people did it. And and I think it it could it should still be done because it's it's really it's an amazing medium to be able to put those characters in your house five days a week all year round to the point mm-hmm. where you're really following their lives. In doing that, you find you have to repeat scenes. You know, you do scenes that you're kind of like, well, can we just do this two days ago? But you sort of repeat them in a different way because maybe somebody missed okay. that day, so you. So you hash that around, and they have to fill for a show like All My Children and those hour-long shows. You have to fill in five hours a week. Right. It's amazing that they do that. So, I mean, you have, if you're trusted in that environment, you have you have a lot more freedom to, to kind of have fun with it and make it work and, 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 and bring it all together in this collaborative effort that everybody, the writers, producers, directors, actors, really are out there just, on their asses, just making it work every day. So, so in that sense, if you're a creative person and you're trusted, you're welcome to that environment. And 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 I imagine if you're working on a really good movie, it could be the same experience. Right. But in in quite often when you're done on some shows, and you know you're basically just a person. If you're a guest star on some things, 
you go in, you hit your marks, you say your lines, and you go home, and you get a check in the mail, and you're able to pay a couple bills, but it's not always a hugely creative experience. It's just a job, which is okay, too. But it's definitely, in my experience, I had a lot more creative freedom on Monday. Right. Well, I, I would imagine, too, that in daytime, you're able to develop, they're able to develop the characters a little more, too, because they're not, you're not confined to getting, you know, like a film is, what, six months or whatever for well, it could be, It could be one month, but if in a big budget right. film, it might take six months. But, yeah, right. you're only doing, on a six-month shoot, you're, you're doing, you're only shooting like a couple pages a day, barely doing anything, waiting around right. all day. And when you go on the set on a daytime show, it's like doing a play. And you could have a five-page scene or a ten-page scene or a three-page scene, but whatever it is, you're doing it like you're doing a play. And you're out right. there and they have three cameras rolling and, and you're making it happen all live in front of the camera. So it's, 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 very, it's very exciting that way. I would have been curious to, do, to be around when they were doing live television. That would have been... That was oh, really awesome. They yeah. still do it, like with Dancing with the Stars and stuff like that. But in in daytime drama, when it was live, that would have been that would have been exciting. Have you? Do you have a a, a desire to do, um, like stage or something? Like well, sure. I'm, yeah, I mean that's where I came from. Right. I mean, I, I mean obviously every almost everyone. I mean some people just like you know play football or something and decide they're gonna. They're the homecoming queen or king, and they decide they come to Hollywood, and they've never done a stage. But I mean, for me, that's that's where it all started. And my first professional job was at the Cleveland Playhouse, working with Tony Award-winning actors and 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 Stephen Mocked, actually, who's been on General Hospital since. Oh my then. gosh! Yeah. And, uh, and Elizabeth Franz, who's a Tony Award-winning actress, and and. So I, I come from that world and, you know, and studying and classically trained and yada yada and all that. So it's definitely, yeah, sure. I mean, it's something that I, I want to do again in my life for sure. Absolutely. You would be fantastic. Um, okay, uh, switching gears completely. You have a spoken word poetry album titled Make It Real, which is available on CD Baby. What was yep. the inspiration for this poetry album? Um, well, first of all, um, CD Baby is the most direct way to get it, um, and that's the way I would prefer people get it. But if they have an iTunes account, it's, oh. it is available on iTunes, and it's it's in, on Amazon, and, and it's in different places, wherever, the, you know, there's outlets on the Internet. Um, the inspiration behind it was just that I've always written from the time I was very young, and I always wanted to put out a book, but I didn't, you know, know... I couldn't. I couldn't really figure. I wanted to get something out this year, and and I and I just wanted to just make it happen. I was sick of like sitting around trying to figure out the logistics, but I knew how to get something up on CD, baby. And I was an actor, and I thought, you know, my the things I write sort of lend themselves to being read out loud. So so I just you know decided to do that. And and in the last couple, the last month of the year, last year, I forced myself to write every day, and. Uh, be more prolific with my writing, whether I felt like writing or not. I forced myself to write, and so a, a large portion. There's there's some of the pieces on the album that are from sometime in the last eight years, but a large portion of it is brand new stuff. And, wow. And and I just you know I I sort of in an, you know I was encouraged, and I encourage others to like to not be afraid to uh, 
you know, just because like, a lot of times when you, you know, if you're an actor out here in L.A. or New York and people say, oh, you're an actor, oh, what restaurant do you wait tables at? And they sort of like are all snide about it. And mm-hmm. and, and and it's tough as an artist to, to maintain the feeling that you are an artist if you're not making money doing it. But but I encourage others to realize that if you claim yourself as an artist, if you claim yourself as a filmmaker, if you claim yourself as a writer, whatever you you can you can claim yourself as whatever you want to be and and say that's what I am and at the end of the day you have to eventually you know step up and put your money where your mouth is and put your work out there and and regardless of whether it's good or bad or like this is what you do you create it and and only time will tell if it's appreciated and and it, but it, it doesn't matter you just just put it out there and I've I've written and I've created for a long time and I've never really sort of announced, you know, did this in a way where I said, by the way, publicly, I'm saying this is what I am. This right. is part. This is part of what I am. This is this is another outlet for me. This is something that that I am a writer and I do create, and 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 I want to put it out there. And I and that's why where the you know the title came from one of the pieces on there called Make It Real, but I chose that as the title of the whole piece because I. That's what I did. I decided I was going to do it, and within a month, it was done. It was online. It was the number one poetry album on CD Baby. Not that that's like you know, I don't know, you know, both being the number one poetry album is this is amazing and huge. But but I made it real. You know, I said this is what I'm going to do, and and I did it. And 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 it was just you know one of the first times in my life that I actually said that you know I'm going to do this, and and I made it happen. Just quickly and got it done. Well, I I can't wait to I haven't heard it yet, but I'm I'm I definitely will. Um I can't wait to um experience it. Uh Chelsea in the chat room has asked um Brian, what do you see yourself doing in ten years? Um well hopefully the planet's still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's so Mayan thing. People say like December twenty first this Absolutely. year. Absolutely, the world. I, know. I don't know, but but the, but I don't. Ten years from now, um, I hope that things keep growing from where they are at this very moment, and I want to, I want to, you know, grow and get back to work. I've been not working for a long time. I want to um, continue, you know, the sort of energy that's going on right now and to be able to get out there more and work more and get back to, you know, I think at, at the where I am now in my life, I'm I'm much, even as an actor, I'm much closer to the actor than I always wanted to be when I was younger. And I think, like, you know, you have experiences in life that, that let you... I was just telling someone earlier who's also in the process of getting back into the business after being gone a long time that we're discussing age and if that matters and I was like, Well I guess it matters sometimes in Hollywood and people treat you like crap but but at the same time, if you're a true artist, the the actual fact is that you have so much more to offer and that you have all this experience and all this life behind you you can now, as young actors, often act too much and have to feel like you're working all the time. And have to, you know, as you get older, you realize you finally can trust. You finally can go, you know what, I've lived life. 
and life, the ups and downs and the indifference and all of it. And I can now just stand there and know that the camera's going to read me. The camera's going to understand what's behind my eyes because I finally have lived life. And and so so I hope to bring that more. I hope to write more. And, you know, I'm working on scripts and and uh, and hopefully more poetry, maybe put out another album, hopefully put out a compilation of, of all the stuff in an actual book at some point. And and teaching, working with kids is important to me. So so I you know, I, I want to continue to, to do it all and, and I don't know where that's gonna go right now at this very moment. But but I'm trying to sort of just reclaim my my life and, and say, you know what, I'm uh, you know, I'm I'm an actor, I'm an artist, I'm a writer, I'm 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 all these things and and I and that's and I just I want I want to do that, and 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 in the in the in the time in between, um, when I I want to find a way to teach more, because I don't I don't want to waste myself like where I am now, at um, I'm going into my forties, I don't want to go be a barback or a busboy or something. Right, you know, like, right. Like, like not that that that's all fine, but for mm-hmm. me now, I have to do things that that I feel that, that I've, I've been told that I've had an effect on some people's lives. And I, and, and I don't think there's, I'm not a big believer in a lot of like sins mm-hmm. um, in the biblical sense of what sins are, but, but I do believe it's a sin to, um, to have a, to have something that you're meant to be doing and not doing it. Oh Yeah. To yeah. live up to, to, to you, you have, a, you know, people have callings in their lives. And if you're yes. constantly walk, walking away from it and, and you're, you know, and belittling yourself by, by working under your level. And I'm, and I'm not saying that in a cocky way. I think everybody, everybody's at a higher level, you know, and everybody has different callings. But, every, but most people walk around sort of belittling themselves and, and thinking they're less than. And, and I encourage people to, to realize that, you know, we can each be our own. You know, yeah, oh, we have to, we have a reason for being here, and we should find what that is and, and put that forward. And that's that's amazing. That's inspirational. Someone just came in and said your poetry says this over and over. I love your I am affirmation for yourself. Uh, Gregory Brinkley is in my chat room right now. It is totally inspiring. Anyone who is giving their gift, gone is on gift is on the path, and he said your poetry says that over and over again. That's cool. Oh. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Gregory's cool. He's, he yeah. Does he does so, stuff yoga. Well, he uh, he definitely gets what you're saying, and uh, that's it's truly inspirational what you just said, and I, I think that there are too many people um, in this world, as you have said, that haven't found their calling. And I think it's very important that you do. For sure, for sure. And I and I, and I also think, in, in going back to, like, you know, you know, I always tell people that, like, it's not... We're living in this youth culture now, and especially since the 90s, and teenagers sort of took over mm-hmm. Hollywood, and... And and you're you're made you know all of a sudden everybody in the 90s everyone wanted to find like writers and directors and everybody was like you know you were 21 22 years old and you were hot because you were young and you were doing it and you were good because you were so young and you were great and and, but the fact of the matter is I mean go back to another time when when there were we we did respect 
our elders and we respected what came with that and 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 things you know i mean someone like i mean even though Woody Allen was a writer his whole life, he didn't even start directing films till he was like forty or so right so and 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 that experience of life brings it to a whole other level, and I think we have to 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 see that again and to see that there's so much to be to be offered and to be looked at by people as they age and also that you know look at it biblically like people people who are on a search and who are living a long life i mean whether or not Moses really lived to be like seven hundred or whatever years old i, I don't know but but the idea is that look how many years it took for some of these people to to realize, okay, I have to step up and I have to lead my people out and mm-hmm. save them, and, and I have to do this. And, I, and that was my whole reason for being alive, and it took me my whole life to get there. And and that's okay, and as long as you're still alive, right. as long as you still have another chance and another day, that your your reason for being here is not complete yet. Right. You you have to know that that like regardless of of where you are in your life, that there you still have another chance, and that that you might not have reached your whole reason for being yet. And even if you did have a high, even if you didn't have a life of hell, and you did have a high, that doesn't mean that was your whole reason for being. As long as you were breathing on this earth you might not yet have reached where it is you need to go. And that's not to say that your whole life should be based on getting to a point of, like, I'm always searching for something. I always have to find that reason, find that reason. Then then that's just as bad. You're wasting your life in just looking for something else when what you might need is just living in the moment. But there's a balance. You have to, for me, the goal would be to find a balance between those two things, to know that as long as I'm still here, there's more I can accomplish and there can be redemption and there can be healing and there can be change, but I also don't want to ignore whatever's happening in the moment just because tomorrow might bring something else. Right. Right. It's a fine balance. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I want to thank you, Brian. We want to thank you for spending this time with us. Thank you so much for this wonderful, um, wonderful interview. Uh, if you'll just stay on the line, I'm just going to say um, good night to everyone. If you'll just okay. stay on the line. Okay. Uh, this, is, this concludes our interview with um, Brian Gaskell. Everybody have a great evening. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>